Coming to you from the Outer Mission, this is Monkey Block, a storytelling podcast focused on San Francisco's golden past, 1849 through 1906. I'm your host, Girlina. The stories are closely based on newspapers of the time, historical books, and journals. Disclaimer, I do my best to research and share the real stories, extracting legends or calling them out. Now, let's go back in time. Welcome back, dear listeners. Today we are celebrating our second year in review. If you've been on this journey with me the last two years, thank you for making it to this milestone. If you are new or newish, welcome to the party. And journey is exactly what this has been. If you listened to the very first episode, you heard the beginning of the journey with using sound editing software and post-production editing and my stiff delivery before I was comfortable talking into a microphone. I tell myself I'll re-record that first episode, but it's been two years and nothing yet. I hope you appreciate listening to the podcast Mature in all its facets. Last year, we traveled from 1837 and we got stuck in 1846. I'll get into that in a moment. Overall, we dove into Yerba Buena's late 1830s and 1840s story and reviewed Yerba Buena's part in early California history. We also discovered Yerba Buena Cove, how it was utilized, and the process for how it was eventually filled. Then we took a deep look at the Bear Flag Revolt, Uh, more than I expected to, honestly, but life works that way sometimes. Let's review some fun and funny stories from last year, which includes some personal growth. A snapshot of William Heath Davis Junior. In 1838, William Heath Davis Jr., a Yerba Buena hero founder who wasn't on my radar until last year, moved from Hawaii to Yerba Buena to work at his uncle's merchant store. His life was so interesting, I couldn't fit a story into one episode. William Heath Davis Jr. is the most famous Yerba Buena early San Francisco resident you probably didn't know about. His story slash diary, 75 Years in California, provides an amazing boots-on-the-ground look at a mostly privileged life as a successful merchant trader in Yerba Buena. He was dealing with all the big names, conducting lucrative deals, and married into a powerful land-owning California family. Yet his name faded from the discussions of early city founders, or he's been reduced to two or three sentences when Yerba Buena founders are discussed. But then again, when it comes to San Francisco's history, Yerba Buena's history seems to be overlooked or minimized. A few listeners reached out and said they bought the book to learn more about William Heath Davis Jr. I'm happy to know what I share inspires other people to seek out further information about a discussed topic 
This is precisely why I state my sources in the episodes or list them in the transcripts. Yerba Buena's Original Shoreline and Development The 1846 Introduction of Urban Land Development, as it relates to Yerba Buena Cove, may it rest in peace, was a dive into different aspects of our history, which I did not know that much about. But I needed to understand what was there before the cove was filled, not just that it was filled, to appreciate Yerba Buena's history. I had no idea what kind of journey this would lead me on. This was the most eye-opening research and episode of last year. Knowing what I know now, this is kind of bold, I believe the Pueblo, the Yerba Buena, and then San Francisco owe its initial and then subsequent success to the actual cove. Bold, right? Let me explain. The ideal location, being a year-round protected cove, safe for anchoring any time of the year, out of sight from the authorities sailing in the ocean, and far enough from Monterey where taxes and duties were required before trading, was exactly the reason for the cove's popularity for conducting illicit sea otter fur trading and then hide and tallow trading, aka smuggling. This lucrative trading and smuggling was the reason a port town was created around Yerba Buena Cove. And that's why the Pueblo de Yerba Buena was established. It would support and encourage more of the incoming secret trading and commerce. Then the piers were built, water lots were sold, and eventually the space was filled between the piers with landfill, and then more landfill a quarter mile out to current-day Embarcadero. It's that already existing infrastructure, the port town, that was already in place when the unexpected gold rush traffic arrived. There was already a foundational there to build upon, and ships already knew about the cove and the Pueblo for reasons. Now they had a different reason to be there besides hide and tallow. I learned San Francisco had Yolamu shell mounds, which I'm ashamed of not knowing about the 18 shell mounds and burial sites in San Francisco that I was walking on without realizing it. I'm not a spokesperson for the original inhabitants, the Yalamu of the Ramayatush Ohlone, so I hope I presented the information respectfully and accurately. I was another person who unintentionally dismissed the truly earliest of San Francisco history. It was a reminder, no matter how much we think we know, there's always more to learn. The Accidental Annexation of California Next is the funniest story of last year. The 1842 Accidental Annexation of California was a real thigh-slapper. Poor old Thomas Ab Catsby Jones took possession of California on behalf of the United States as a defensive move against Mexico, whom he believed had declared war against the United States. They landed in Monterey, took down the Mexican flag, and replaced it with the United States flag while the band played Yankee Doodle and the Star-Spangled Banner. Too bad Mexico 
did not declare war against the United States, and it was a huge misunderstanding on Jones's part. But I'm sure the sorry about the misunderstanding party was a hit with the confused Monterey residents. Nothing says, I'm really sorry about taking over your country when I didn't need to. Like a three-day fandango with music, food, and dancing. And, well, replacing the Mexican flag back on Mexican land. We'll just see ourselves out and uh, make our way back to the United States. Thank you. The interview, Walk with Spirits, Ghost Tour. I had fun meeting and interviewing a San Francisco native and a dear listener who does a history-based San Francisco ghost tour. These experiences make me happy to do this podcast. You never know who's listening. I meet like-minded people in unexpected ways, and in this case, it was interesting how much crossover there is between a history podcast and a history ghost tour. Walk with Spirits is the name of the tour from Mix Boutique Tours Boo. You can find their page on Facebook. An early dive into John Sutter. John Sutter made our radar back when he was still Johann Suter. The man with the self-created military background and equally fictitious wealth. We covered his life from Switzerland and then across the United States. Then in 1837, he finally reached Mexico's Alta California in Monterey. Mr. Fake It Till You Make It, now called Captain John Sutter. While his personal story and his mark on history is controversial, his ability to spin yarn to secure money to get what he wanted was amazing. Love him or hate him, his name looms large in California history and therefore San Francisco history. He's a Netflix series in the making. And if the right people are listening, I am happy to help with that research. Side note, the Sutter Health Organization is named after this man. The Before and During the Bear Flag Revolt Ah, 1846 California and the Bear Flag Revolt, a topic I naively thought I could tell in one episode. Silly me. It was like an onion each layer revealing another interesting story, and then another story, and then analysis paralysis sets in. Which story do I tell? There are too many. If I tell this story, should I first precede with that story? Or do I tell that story and then proceed with this other story? Where do I cut it off? Am I going down a rabbit hole? I'm going down a rabbit hole. Clearly, the revolt was bigger than the one day the bear flaggers appeared in Sonoma and knocked on Vallejo's door. So many rabbit holes, so little time. We covered the lead up to the bear flag revolt and looked back at one of the preceding events with Fremont and a standoff with General Jose Castro at Gavilan Peak a few months before the actual event. This is where the hard feelings were established between the two men and the mystery note letter message that did, but most likely did not, exist, which convinced Fremont to return to Alta California to, at best, coordinate, or at the very least, instigate the Bear Flag Revolt, which he did, or did not, participate in setting up. Right. 
such garbled history around that chain of events and not an easy story to tell if you want to extract legend from history. This story has layers of legend upon legend. A few of the Fremont legends hardened with time with enough retelling. We acknowledge these thin stories as history, yet even at the time, these were acknowledged as thin stories. Now we have a hero with a magnificent legend turned history tied to his name. I have no doubt Fremont was great friends with John Sutter, but that's speculation on my part. The Farthest West Letters The letters were a surprise find as I was looking to move forward in my timeline, but wouldn't you know it, I found another rabbit hole. It was too delicious of an untold story to pass up. I live for this kind of history. The secrecy, the level of detail, the Yerba Buena connection, and the American military insight into the Bear Flag Revolt. Did Yerba Buena's first American, Acalde, write those letters? Based on some evidence, it's very likely. But we can't prove that without an expert handwriting analysis, and I'm not clear that one has been done. Again, another rabbit hole about 1846 California. I just can't seem to quit 1846. Speaking Engagements The biggest moment of growth of last year was being asked to speak at two different organizations. I only mentioned the first one, where I spoke on smuggling in Yerba Buena for the San Francisco Historical Society. However, I also spoke at the San Francisco Tour Guides Guild. It turns out the head of the Tour Guides Guild is a dear listener and asked me to speak at one of their events after hearing my talk at the San Francisco Historical Society. I was completely flattered when I received her email. I will admit, it was not my best public speaking performance, as Technical difficulties threw me off my game. If you're listening, I want a do-over, and I'll bring my own projector this time. In retrospect, that was gutsy to start my public speaking with the San Francisco Historical Society. I really wanted to do a good job because I was representing myself, my podcast, and the Historical Society. Oh, and it was being streamed live on YouTube. I'm a hobby historian with a microphone but I pulled it off. In both instances, it was nice to meet a group of people who were equally as enthusiastic about San Francisco history. I knew there were more of us out there. I need to thank my friends and even co-workers for sitting through my practice presentations and giving me feedback and encouragement when my confidence about doing this started to fade. Also, I can't thank a dear listener in England enough for helping me review my slides, my talking points, and even part of the research. All of this was over email, over a few different time zones. Being able to bring his family story to life was an honor, and his help meant a lot. So much thank you, thank you, thank you for your help, my English dear listener, you know who you are. If you go to Season 2, Episode 10, the San Francisco Historical Society Talk, and listen for the McCullough and Hartnell part. The dear listener is a descendant of Hugh McCullough. It's an interesting chapter of Yerba Buena and Alta California's licit hide and tallow trading with the missions that is not often told. Yes, licit. 
listener statistics. This is a high-level breakdown of the analytics for my podcast on the chance you're curious. The majority, 75% of my listens are from Apple Podcast. Maybe that's you. 80% of the listeners use an iPhone. And that's interesting considering I'm strictly Android and PC. Over 90% of my listens are in the United States, but the international downloads are growing. The majority of the 90% United States listens are in California and make up 35% of that 90%, no surprise. And of that 35% of California listens, the majority, that's 30% of the listens, are in San Francisco. And then the percent significantly drops to the East Bay, then the Central Valley, and then the Sacramento area. And then the rest are scattered around California and then the rest of the United States. I'm a small podcast, and I'm happy to fly under the radar. I seek quality, not quantity, when it comes to this podcast and my very dedicated listeners. Big announcement. This is new, new, new. I am announcing a new aspect of my podcast. I have created Monkey Block's very own Buy Me a Coffee page. This is an online tip jar where you can donate the cost of a coffee in San Francisco to show your support for your favorite early San Francisco history podcast. You can find me at buymeacoffee.com forward slash monkeyblocksf. Or you can go to Buy Me a Coffee's website and use monkeyblocksf to search for me in the Explore Creator field. If you want to support this podcast, you can make a one-time donation, or if you're inspired, you can make monthly contributions, which will provide you access to bonus episode material. That's what I've silently been working on for the last few months. I currently have one free post and one paid member post if you want to take a look at the page. I will add bonus material for some episodes, a behind-the-scenes look at the story behind the story. Also, I plan to interview the fascinating people I meet along the way. Now I can share those stories while maintaining the podcast's timeline. I'll also provide some free content on my Buy Me a Coffee site for everyone, even if you don't donate or subscribe. Just a heads up, if you do sign up for the monthly subscription, you'll want to add notifications at creators.buymeacoffee.com to your email addresses so future notifications don't go to your spam folder. I also put that address into the introduction post if you go to the Buy Me a Coffee page, so you don't have to write that down right now. Fear not, dear listeners. The podcast you are listening to right now will always be free. I've unconsciously dragged my feet because Yerba Buena is an undervalued chapter in San Francisco history, and I wanted to make sure I adequately told its story before I moved on. The popular narrative is that until gold was discovered, there was nothing in Yerba Buena to speak of, and the notion that the small population equated to very little commerce coming and going from the cove is incorrect. I have 21 episodes that say differently. I haven't been the best at releasing monthly episodes this past year. Honestly, I would rather release a well-thought-out, researched, and edited episode than maintain a schedule with material and information I'm not proud to put out there. So I apologize for the spotty episodes this past year. Quality over 
quantity. In closing, it's been another interesting year, number two, of retelling early San Francisco history. It will be bittersweet to say goodbye to Yerba Buena as we watch the Pueblo become San Francisco. Together, we've been a part of a small club exploring just Yerba Buena. I've unconsciously dragged my feet to stay in Yerba Buena to tell its story. It's become my security blanket and a place I've grown comfortable. I have told Yerba Buena's story in a manner I am proud of and it's time to move forward. In every ending, Yerba Buena, there's a new beginning, San Francisco. A metamorphosis is on the horizon, and the United States will soon take possession of California. The storyline is about to take off as we watch the caterpillar become a butterfly. Season three should be a wild ride. Thank you for listening this past year, dear listeners. This is Monkey Block, retelling forgotten stories from San Francisco's golden past.